Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. My name's Tyler. If I haven't had a good chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, thank you, worship band, for leading us this morning. That was great, right? Did y'all enjoy that last song? I thought that was good. I really enjoyed it. So thank you guys so much for that. Um, just real quick, just a couple of housekeeping things uh, before uh, we get into the sermon this morning. One, um, we have something coming up called Workout Weekend. You can throw that slide up if it's floating around somewhere. Get that out of the way. There we go. Workout Weekend. So it's May 13th, May 14th. The idea is we don't have a lot. We, have, uh, we wanted to do something specific for marriage ministry. Uh, and it's called Workout Weekend. And the idea, you see the weights there. I know you're like, wait, weights and me probably don't collide that much. I understand the imagery there. But the idea is, you know, if we want our marriages to be healthy, you have to get reps in, right? And it's like everything else in, world, in, in life. To, do, to, to, to get healthier, to be better, it's, you have to take reps. You have to take hacks. You have to take uh, things uh, or at bats at the plate. And so the idea was just for, a, for May 13th, the evening of May 13th, and then for half a day Saturday on the 14th, we would get together for marriages. It's also for premarital engaged couples as well. And just talk about what it means to have oneness in marriage. I mean, like, I've been married 16 years, and Dee and I were just talking about this weekend, like, oneness, the idea of what marriage is, is oneness. And oneness is hard to get after because there's busyness and there's all the other things that come along with it as well. And so we thought we'd just kind of have an open dialogue and an open conversation about what works for us and what we think God calls us to and the grace and the tools and the mercy in which he does all that. Uh, child care is included. It's 20 bucks for a couple. If your if you're spouse isn't available, we'd still love for you to attend. It's $10. That includes meal Friday night, breakfast Saturday morning, and child care for your children as well. So we want to just uh, kind of remove the barriers to where we could focus on marriage. We also want to do something parenting-oriented as well. Uh, so we, we're trying to figure out how to make that work this weekend, and we're going to do a parenting focus later in the year. And so you can just grab this card on the way out. You can ask me for it. I've got it here as a bookmark in the passage of my Bible this morning, and register, and this is something that I think we can invite our friends to as well. So if you know, and here's the thing, it's not for marriages that are struggling, although all marriages struggle, right? I mean, like that, at least mine, I mean, like, you know, we, I talked about this a few weeks ago, we had a date night around Valentine's Day, which, you know, all the pressure with Valentine's Day, and, uh, you know, it wasn't the Valentine's Day date that we were hoping for, and so we went home kind of disappointed, right? You know how that never happens, you know? If you, ever, you know, trouble always happens when it's most convenient, right? Yeah, anyway, and I'm always right, by the way, too, just so you know. So, you know, it's, so there you go. Uh, but yeah, I'd love for you to do that. So last week, Travis started our series called The Kingdom of God, and he talked about John last week. Let me find my bookmark. There we go. And how Jesus kept telling his disciples, I told you so. He kept telling them that he was going to resurrect after his crucifixion. He kept telling them he was going to be crucified. And they were like, wait, what? What's going on? They were really confused about that. And then, of course, it happened. And, you know, and that was the whole point of last week is, I told you it was going to happen. It happened anyway. And, and yet, you know, the whole point of this series is we want to, you know, it's real easy to blow past Easter Sunday and kind of move on with our life. Well, Jesus actually was doing things between 
post-resurrection and ascension when he ascended into heaven 40 days after he resurrected from the grave. And so that's the whole point of this series is just to take a pause and not go so fast past Easter, right? Because, I mean, the, the calendar all kind of, fr- ministry calendars all front load to Easter. It's kind of a big deal, right? And after Easter, everybody's kind of worn out and, and all the things. But we wanted to really just kind of take some time and look at what Jesus is up to, what he's talking about as far as the kingdom goes. Matter of fact, the Gospel of John concludes with the statement that Jesus did many other things, and, but there were not enough book space in the Gospel of John to contain it all. Right, it makes me think of the, the old hymn, if, if, every, you know, if the ocean was, in, was filled with ink and every stalk a quill and that the sky wouldn't be able to contain it, nor would the ocean run dry. There's so much that Jesus did that we don't even know about yet. And here's the funny thing. He's up to stuff right now in this moment through the Holy Spirit, too. And so this morning, I want to look at just, it's a gift that Jesus actually even reveals himself to us. Jesus revealing himself as a gift. And, and as I said, it's completely easy just to, okay, we've done the Easter thing. Now let's rotate the calendar toward the next thing, which I think is like Memorial Day, right? And, and, and then we're good. And, but Jesus wants to continue to reveal himself to you and to me in a new way each day. Do you know that? Like, and it's easy to get focused. Well, he's revealed himself in the cross Okay, we're good. We've got this image of Jesus. But actually, no, he wants to reveal himself to you and to me in a new way each day. And the goal of his continued revelation, excuse me, is to enlarge our view and desire of his presence in our life. That's the whole point. Like, he keeps showing up. He keeps showing up to me because he wants me to have a bigger view of not just who he is, but the bigger view of what he wants to do and be in my life. And so the question I have for you this morning is, when's the last time you've responded, we've responded to Jesus' revealing himself to us personally? When's the last time you've just had that moment? Right? We've had that moment where, like, where it's the, oh, gosh, he's actually trying to tell me something right now. So I'm going to save the story when Jesus revealed himself to the disciples in the upper room. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. You know that famous interaction where, the disciples are scared. They've been scared for 40 days, right? And they've locked themselves in the, in the room, and the windows are locked, and the doors are locked, and then Jesus somehow miraculously appears in the room. And that's kind of weird, right? I mean, like, the, everything's shut, but Jesus shows up anyway. So I guess, you know, locks and keys don't really hold him, which makes kind of sense in light of Easter. But then what's weird to me about that is just the, well, they didn't know who he was. Like, he, that he withheld his presence from them, from them being able to recognize him. So it's just like, you know, I'm trying to put myself in the room there. And I'm like, so there's 12 of us or 11 of us, I guess I should say. Maybe there's a few more. But, and all of a sudden there's this stranger in the room who looks like Jesus, but I don't know him as Jesus, but he just showed up and like, that's weird. You know what I mean? Like, and so some of these stories are just kind of weird because it's like, well, he just shows up out of nowhere. You know, how the heck does he get in the room anyway? I don't know. But what I do want to look at this morning is that we're going to look at the specific encounter that two disciples had on the walk home from Easter weekend in Jerusalem. Okay, so we'll be looking at the road to Emmaus is the passage. And and so this is the first day of the week, which is Sunday, you know, in the Jewish calendar. So here's the funny thing about the Jewish calendar. Our day ends at midnight, right? 
And our day of the week, our week starts on Monday. Well, the Jewish calendar, the day actually ended at Sunday. That's why they had to pull his body off the cross. The day was over. Nobody could work at the end of the day. Remember, we talked about that on Easter. And so this is the first day of the week. So this is actually Resurrection Sunday. You know, and, and, and Jesus had told the women to go tell his, the brothers, his disciples, to meet him in Galilee. So these two disciples in particular are walking back to the town of Emmaus. It's seven miles outside of Jerusalem, most likely west, kind of northwest of Jerusalem. So kind of the middle of the country and kind of going that way. And if you remember the story, the disciples are defeated, right? Jesus is dead. He's been telling them he was going to be dead, but he was going to resurrect. And at this point in the Luke account, it's the, they're like, oh, the women are chattering. The memory of the Marys are like, hey, the Marys are going to go tell his disciples that he's risen. And they thought they were crazy. And so they kind of ignored them. At least the Luke account says that. And so these two disciples, one's name is Cleopas, and the other we don't know their name, so he must not be that important. However, he's in the story, and they've left Jerusalem now, now they're returning home. And so the whole thing with Easter, or at least with the Passover in the Jewish faith, is everybody comes to Jerusalem. It's the pilgrimage. It's the pilgrimage, and now the pilgrimage is over, now they're leaving town, right? Kind of like after a football weekend. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, you can follow along on the board behind me. I'm going to get to seven observations about the passage this morning, but I want to read this over you for the context. So that very day, two of them, there you go, verse 13, we're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. See, I told you it was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, Jesus in his sense of humor, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? That's a weird way of saying, hey, what are you talking about, right? But that's what he's saying. What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So, I mean, they're walking along and Jesus says, hey, what are you talking about? And they stop. They stop because they can't walk anymore. They have to, they, they stop and they're sad. And I love this. And they stood still looking sad, and then one of them named Cleopas, that's where we get his name, answered him, are you the only visitor? Remember I said everybody's coming to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, I love that, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of them who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women said, but him they did not see. 
And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's Jesus saying, oh, he's calling them foolish. He's, He's quoting scripture at this point. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. But yet they did not know who he was yet. In verse 28, so they drove near, near to the village to which they were going, that's Emmaus, and he acted as if he were going far, farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, hey, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Couldn't Jesus just do that at the outside of the city and then they could just come back in? I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's the seven miles out, now they got to go seven miles back. But there you go. That's Jesus' sense of humor for us. So like I said, seven observations from this passage. Just go uh, quickly this morning. But number one, whether we want it or Jesus or not, he wants to be with us. Do you know that? Like... Whether you want it, and there's been times in my life, you know, even before I became a Christ follower, like I certainly didn't want him in. And there's even times now where I'm like, I think I'm good today. Like I'm too busy and like I don't really have space for you, Jesus, today. It's okay. You just hang out over there. If I need you, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll text you or, 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 or shoot you a phone call or something. But whether we want Jesus or not, he wants to be with us. And I love it in verse 15. It says, Jesus didn't just just get close to them. Excuse me, didn't just get close to them. He went with them. He drew near. I love just the image of Jesus drawing near to them on the road. And the idea is this, is that just like with the guys on the road to Amazes, Jesus wants to go with you and me on the journey of our lives. He does. He wants to go with you and me on the journey of our lives. And whether we want him to or not, he's always there kind of walking with us. It's just if we want to realize and, and take the time to actually see where he is in proximity. That's number one. Number two, there are times in our lives where Jesus' presence will be hidden from us. There are times in our lives where Jesus' presence will be hidden from us. Verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it happens later in, in the, another passage we're going to be at this morning. And you see it happening all over. For some reason, Jesus likes interacting with his followers after he told them so. And they don't immediately recognize who he is. I wonder if that's ever a problem with us. Like, do you ever have a trouble finding out what Jesus is up to or, or figuring out where he is in your life? I mean, I do. I mean, so like on some hand, I'm like, how can you be in the presence of Jesus? Like you've walked with him. They call Cleopas and this other person, they call him his disciples. So they were with him. They know what he looks like, but yet they don't recognize him. And so sometimes it's hard to recognize Jesus's presence in our lives. Sometimes it, it could be circumstances, or sometimes it's intentional. 
It's circumstances, or sometimes it's intentional. In this case, it seems like it's intentional. Sometimes it could just be the circumstances of our lives. It could be a season of our life where it makes it hard to clearly see Him. We could be sick, right? Or spiritually dry, like you ever had those kind of desert seasons where things just aren't kind of moving the way that you kind of want? Or maybe there's conflict in your life. Maybe you're hurt for some reason. And those circumstances start forming walls and barriers between where your heart is and where Jesus is, right? You ever feel that way where they just keep stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking? Yeah, I mean, like, it's hard. Someone shake their head, no. And I'm like, you're lying. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. Like, it's, like, it's hard. Like, it's real easy for our day-to-day to get into between us and Jesus because... They're barriers. It's like they were put there intentionally. It also could be, like I said, is intentional on the part of Jesus' plan for your life. Like, but wait a minute, like Jesus' plan for my life is good, and it's to bless me and, and, and help me be who he wants me to be. But why would Jesus intentionally hide himself from me in parts of my life? Well, well the reality of it is, is if he showed you what was coming, the question would be to myself is would I press in? Like, if I knew everything that he knows, would I be willing to kind of take that step and kind of press in? Or would I withdraw? You know, I mean, if, like I, if I went to the doctor, you know, and looking for, you know, a test result, and I knew it was going to be bad, would I go to the doctor anymore, even though it's treatable? Why? You know, you, know, you see what I'm saying? Like, it, sometimes... It's intentional that God doesn't actually show us all the things that are at play in our worlds. I mean, I think about just the last couple of years. Like, if we do all the things that we know from the last 24 plus months, like, what would our opinions be about things? Or better yet, like, I've been a Christ follower since the spring of 03. If I knew all the things that I was going to have to endure to become more like him, would I actually want to be a Christ follower? Probably not. And so it's in His grace that He does not always allow us to see the entire picture or the pathway forward. I want you to really think about that. Like it's His grace that He withholds some things because He knows what it is that we need and what we don't. But yet, He will face those things with us anyway. So whether it's circumstances or situations or seasons... Sometimes you and I are kept from understanding what he's up to, just like in the story this morning. Number three, I like this. It's, you know, it's the, the whole, are you the only visitor that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem this, this weekend? Like, seriously? Like, are you deaf, dumb, and blind? Like, come on. Like, did you not hear what happened? You saw him come in a week ago. Like, there's all the things. But the funny thing is, Jesus has the most clarity on the situation, whether we know what's happening or don't. Like, that gives me hope. Because the thing that kind of, I don't know about your buttons, I have buttons. But, like, my button is, like, if something really catches me off guard and surprises me, then I get kind of stressed out and frustrated, right? And then we're off to the races at that point. I think that's what happened on our date on Valentine's Day. But... Um, or the day after Valentine's Day. But Jesus has the most clarity on this situation, whether we know what's happening or not. Cleopas is like, hey, are you the only guy that didn't know what happened? Of course he knows. Like, of course he knows. He lived it. 
It was planned for him. He walked it out faithfully. Of course he knows what's going on in the situation of our lives and in our world. And if we know everything, he knows more. And if we don't know everything, he still knows more, right? And, and, and here's the thing. He knows our things too. Not only does he know what's going on in the world, he also knows what's going on in the world of our lives. Simultaneously, together, like you know, I'm, I'm thinking about everyone in this room and like he knows everything that's going on in our worlds right now, in our lives, up to the second. And can simultaneously walk with each of us at the same time. Like that makes my brain hurt just a little bit. Like I have trouble juggling three kids' schedules, you know, let alone all the other things, right? But Jesus somehow always knows and he knows what's up even if we don't. Number four. I like this too. So even though he knew, he stopped and he asked him, well, what things? Jesus wants, even when we know what's going on, Jesus still wants to dialogue with us about our lives. Like, he knew what they were doing. He knew what they had experienced. And yet he stopped and said, well, hold on, tell me what things. And I love that. Like, if they never would have done that, they never would have stopped and actually kind of come to grips with what they were feeling. The scripture said just a second ago is that they stopped and they stood still looking sad. It's like Jesus dialogued with them so that he could draw out those feelings of sadness. He doesn't want to dialogue and be in a relationship with us just to move us to the next thing like he's some taskmaster. He wants to draw the things out of our hearts that he already is aware of that's there. So whether it's frustration or sadness or loneliness or happiness or joy and all the things in between all those things, he knows they're there, but he is in relationship with you and me so that you don't have to face those things alone. Like you ever been to a party by yourself? Like that's no fun, right? Like let's celebrate by yourself, you know? Like I think I, I, I had to celebrate my birthday by myself one year. It was like kind of, kind of you know, lame, right? But it's the... I know, I didn't have any friends growing up. It's really sad. <laughs> One day, maybe. But uh, I'm still hoping, still waiting. You know, Dee has to be my friend since she doesn't really count. You know, but you see what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. Like, we don't have to face those things in our world on our own. He celebrates when we celebrate. He mourns when we mourn. I take great hope in that. And you should, too. Jesus, I love this. Jesus knew everything and more of what Cleopas and the other disciple were talking about, but yet he wants to enter into the conversation anyway. Now talk about like otherworldly. Like you ever find it hard to actually get a word in sometimes in this day and age? Or you're used to people kind of talking over each other or shouting at each other on social media? Like Jesus knows what you're going to type out on the keyboard before you say it and insists he's still going to like your comment anyway. I mean, you know, like it's interesting to me that he knows all things, but yet he's still going to press in and have that dialogue. I mean, you want to be a church that impacts the world. How about we be a church of dialogue? How about we be a people of dialogue? Yeah, we have disagreements, but can we find something to agree on? And the only way you do that is if you press in to figure out what those things are. Jesus presses in. What a model to live our lives after. He presses in. That's number four. Jesus wants a dialogue with us. Number five. 
It is hard to believe in Jesus and his work at times, but the evidence is there in the scriptures and in our lives if we look for it. I love 25 and 27. This is so great. He interpreted the scriptures for them and explained the reason for the story of God. Like he, like he took all the scriptures and walked himself through it by walking them through it. And the story of God is this, it's to restore the relationship that you and I can't restore ourselves. That's the heart of the good news. That's the heart of the gospel is that you and I, we can't work our way to God as much as we try to be imperfect and being likable and funny and all the other things, maybe making, having the right job or, or whatnot. But that, that doesn't get us anywhere closer to God and we couldn't cross the gap. Jesus actually crosses the gap for us. He crosses the gap for us. And so for you and I, we don't have to worry about the space between me and God. So no matter what the season is, whether it's dryness or woundedness or all the things that get between us and the Lord, or he's intentionally hiding some things from us because if we really knew what we really needed to know, we wouldn't really do it, right? Like, we don't have to worry about those things because Jesus actually closed the gap between us and the Father. I love that. Like, you know, like I have to work to close the gap between me and Dee, right? She has to work between to close the gap between her and I, right? It's, she does a lot more work than I do. But you see what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing. But, like, we don't have to work anymore. Like, the thing that we struggled with is trying to figure out how we live within an eternal God. We don't have to do that anymore. Like, all that weight's gone. Imagine if we live that way. That weight being gone. Jesus crossed the gap for us. Number six. Jesus is most revealed in his body, being broken for you and for me. Now, just think about this. I mean, all the ways that Jesus revealed himself, if you know any of the story of the Gospels, you know, he fed the 5,000, he healed blind people, he healed people who had trouble walking, walk without any purpose. The guy, the friends lowering the guy through the roof and the mat, right? Like all the things, you know, all the things... But Jesus is most revealed when his body is broken for you and for me. Most revealed. Verse 30 and 31, he says he broke the blood at this point. Remember the story. So he was walking and then they said, no, stay with us. Like this, something about this interaction with Jesus, wanted, they wanted more. But yet they still didn't even know who he was. And so he sat down and he, and so I love this image. Like, so he's a guest, which means he doesn't have to do anything. Like, they're his host, right? In verse 30, it says, so he uh, went with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So he's now stopped being the guest and now has become the host. Like, the guest does not break the bread. That's the host job, right? The host job is to make sure that they're attended to and comfortable and they have all the things. And so I love this. They don't even know who he is, but yet, can you imagine? Like, oh, no, I got that. Here, let me take that. Right? Well, wait, hold on a second. Like, I'm a good host. I'm concerned about hospitality and you being comfortable. No, no, no. I got it. Hold on. And then he breaks the bread, and then their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. Something about the breaking of the bread, the breaking of Jesus' body for you and for me, has actually opened our eyes. And that's grace, too, to actually see the world and ourselves kind of where we are, right? Like, I don't have to ignore the things that I'm trying to hide anymore. They're there, and Jesus wants to, to help me with those things. 
And so just as he did three days ago, remember this is Sunday, this is Resurrection Sunday with the 12 in the upper room. Now he's doing it again, and he's doing it as the host. You know, we just took communion. So imagine sitting at the table with Jesus this morning as he breaks the bread and the clarity of watching him do that, what that must bring. Think about the clarity. Like, you know, those moments where you really, like I was talking about earlier, where you feel like, Oh, I could sense God's kind of up to something. I could feel his presence in a special way. He's speaking to me. Like I'm getting a sense of what he's up to in my life. Can you imagine the clarity of that moment? It was so clear of who he was and what he did that any scales, anything that was veiling and hiding away recognition was removed because of what he did. And so there's something about receiving the broken body of Jesus. It's the only time where we, like I said, truly see the world and ourselves for truly what it is. It's why we take communion, by the way. It's not for religiosity. It's so that communion is confession. We confess who he is and who we are and where we are in the process of him. It's not for religious reasons. It's out of a heart motive. It's out of a heart motive. Number seven. I love this one. Our hearts tell us when we have a real encounter with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Our hearts tell us when we have a real encounter with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Verse 32 says, did our heart, so he broke the bread and of course he disappeared, which is a weird thing for a guest slash host to do, especially in a kind of a spiritually kind of important moment. He's breaking the bread and they're like, oh, this is doing Jesus things and kind of poking the bear and poking fun at people. Right? He does, do you ever feel he does that with you? Like he's like, <laughs> you thinking anyway. But anyway, right? But verse 32, I love this, their response. So he left, they're astonished. They now realize, wait, we've been walking with him the entire time. And then their response was this Did our hearts not burn within us? You ever pay attention to that? Do you pay attention to enough? And this is at the, I'm going to have a really great day so that my heart can respond. Like, it's when he interacts with you, not when you interact with him. You put the interaction on you and not him, that's just works. That's just mental assent. That's, the, that's how your emotions can fool you. But when he interacts with you and your heart responds, I love that. Your, their heart's burned. They burned. I think they use that word on purpose. The, the, Luke uses that word on purpose. That burn, sometimes in Scripture, fire represents God's judgment and destruction, right? I mean, things are on fire all the time in the Bible, and then it's God's judgment. But these disciples' hearts were not destroyed. They were kindled to something. There's a difference about fire being consuming and destroying versus being kindled. And what I want to say to you, to me this morning is we should not ignore the times where God is kindling our hearts to response. How often do we ignore the heart within us as he's interacting with us and our hearts respond? Whether, just like whether we want to have him in our life or not, he wants to be with us. You and I are made to respond to God whether we want to or not. Do you know that? And it's the difference between this. It's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. I think I walk around with a thermometer heart that just kind of reads the temperature of my soul, right? Jesus actually wants me to have a thermostat heart. Do you know what a thermostat does? 
It regulates temperature. It does, does identify what the temperature is. It actually has the opportunity, it actually has the ability to make it hotter or colder. He wants us to have thermostat hearts. How often do we change the temperature in our houses and our homes or where we live and never think about the spiritual implication of that? Right? We're supposed to have thermostat hearts. You and I were made to respond and then impact the environment around us. My kids complain about the temperature all the time. You know, they're like, it's too hot, it's too cold, right? I bet I do that too spiritually. I don't have this. I want that. Why aren't you doing this? You said you were going to do that. And yet, Jesus is saying, yeah, I know. It's for a purpose. You and I are made to respond to God whether we do or not. So, as we kind of draw to a close this morning, in Exodus 3, I was thinking about this, like, okay, so, you know, we're studying 40 days of the way Jesus revealed himself to his disciples post-resurrection, pre-ascension. And it got me thinking about another time God revealed himself to man. It's in Exodus 3. It's this guy named Moses. And if you know the story, Moses is a herder, and he's out in the middle of the desert, and he sees this bush. And I said that burn was used on purpose. He sees this bush on fire. And so God's revealing himself to Moses in a burning bush, and, and it was in such a manner that Moses couldn't look at God's presence. He it says, the scripture says, literally, he shielded his eyes. And what's crazy, too, is that you look at some of the language behind that, like it wasn't even like God's presence in the face. It was like his backside. It's pretty funny, actually. Right? I mean, like, God's so holy, like, he could only handle his behind. I mean, you know, like, it's, I wonder where Jesus gets his sense of humor. I think that's probably where, right, from his dad. But Moses couldn't look at him, but contrast that with what just happened at the road to Emmaus, and then also contrast that with, remember we began the story, these guys were like, the Marys are crazy, right? They, the tomb's empty, they've taken the body, we went, we couldn't find the angel, the Marys are kind of off the rocker this morning, everybody's really sad, we're out of town, we're leaving, we're going home. And John chapter 20 says this, contrast this with Mary's interaction at the tomb in, in the gospel of John. In verse 11, chapter 20, starting in verse 11, that Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Same morning, same day. Happened a couple hours ago. And she wept. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. I'm just, just saying, like, can you imagine the grief and the sadness that she was feeling? She, as she wept, through tear-filled eyes, she's looking into the grave, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, and one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? So you, I mean, and you know how this, like, you know, if you're mad, like, you know, whenever Dee's mad, I'm like, hey, are you mad? Stop being mad. Does that ever help? Like, it doesn't help. It makes it worse, you know? And so here she is crying this morning, and she's, and they're like, hey, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, listen, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus, here we go, but did not know that it was Jesus. 
And Jesus said to her in verse 15, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Again, not helpful. And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Where have you put his body? I just want to be with his body. I just want to be with him. He's not here anymore. He's been crucified. I just want to be with him. I had him for a while, and now he's not with me anymore, and I just want to be with him. Mary is so desperate to find Jesus' body, she doesn't even recognize she's talking to Jesus in the flesh. And then verse 16 happens. Jesus said what? Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She said, he said her name. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. He said her name and all the hiddenness was gone. And he revealed himself to her. And she, in that moment, can you imagine? She's looking in the tomb with tears in her eyes. They're saying, why are you crying? And then she's talking to a guy. She doesn't even recognize who her Lord is. And all he has to say is her name. You don't think Jesus doesn't want to be with you? He knows your name. He gave you your name. And Mary's response is, Lord, teacher. Jesus knows us by name, and when he calls us by name, there is a kindling that happens inside of each of us. It happened to Mary. She burst forth in response. And I love just the imagery of the Moses story and the Mary story this morning is that God is such a tender of plants, his holiness won't consume a bush in the fire and not destroy it, but also he could also kindle something in us that needs to come out. You see that? His holiness could consume a bush and not destroy it, but he could also be so gentle and call us by name like he did Mary this morning, and he calls something out within each of us. That's the life that you and I were made to live. Do you know that? That's the life you and I were made to live. To live in a response to Jesus calling our name on a daily basis. From moment to moment and season to season when things are good or bad or up or down or sideways or inside out. Healthy, unhealthy, money, no money. Like That's what you and I are made to be. We are made to be someone who responds to Jesus. And so... I love, uh, if those of you that know me, I love Yosemite Valley. Like, you know, like I feel closest to God in nature, especially with mountains floating around somewhere in, the, in, in, my, in my vision frame, right? And so I, I have pictures of mountains in my office and on my phone. And, and you know, like, sorry, I don't have any family. I have family photos, but not on my desk, not on my phone wallpaper. You know, it's mountains, you know. I still love them now. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I love Yosemite Valley. I've only been there once, and... It is an amazing sight. If you've never seen it, let me show you the first picture. I did not take that, but I found it, right? And, I mean, just look at that. The sunrise toward the east, right? And Yosemite is all these things you could do. And, not, and when we were there, we were there in the winter, and only 1% of the park was open because of all the snow. And yet it's glorious to behold. 
Like, it's like, how do you look at rocks like that and not think that some person named God put them there purposefully, right? If you were to think about that, like, all the things that have to happen for those things to be that way, and then when we have hard times, we question maybe what God's motives might be and if he's actually interacting in our lives. I mean, real, you know what I'm, you see the, the irony of that? Like, how can you look at the beach and the waves as they spill on the shore and like, I don't know if God's really up to anything in my life. I mean, that's the thing. God's so awesome with Yosemite Valley, in February for two weeks, for two weeks because of the angle of the sun, it, t- it hits every sunset when it's a clear day. It hits a waterfall. There's like a thousand waterfalls. I don't think it's a thousand, but there's a bunch of waterfalls in Yosemite, one called Horsetail. And in February for two weeks, because of the angle of the setting sun, the sun hits it and it turns into this. Hit the next picture, please. That's not Photoshop. That's the sunset hitting horsetail, and it turns for two weeks into something called firefall. It's pretty cool, right? Pretty cool. I mean, you ever seen that? You ever heard of that? Like, I wasn't there for it. Stinks, but it's called firefall. In 2013, the Rim Fire burned 250,000 acres of North Yosemite. It started in another national forest. You go to the next pick, please. And quarter of a million acres burned from a single campfire. Think about that. So, you know, and here's the thing. The embers started from a little small fire, you know, three inches, three feet in circumference or whatever, and it turned into that. And it flew up the mountainside, and it was really dry that year. And I'm not making commentary on anything that you think I might be making commentary on. That's not my point. My point is, is that embers are important, and they go wherever they go. And, it, you know, it threatened the valley. I mean, people were thinking it was going to kind of go down into the valley and scorch everything. And so here's the thing. When Jesus reveals himself to us, just as the road to Emmaus, their hearts burned our heart's embers begin to warm. Our heart's embers begin to warm because post-resurrection, our hearts have become the burning bush. No longer is God showing us his backside. God is actually residing within each of us right now and our hearts begin to warm and kindle. And so our embers, the embers of our hearts are not supposed to stay in the cauldron of our heart and our soul. They're not supposed to stay here. They're supposed to go out. They're supposed to spread as a signal fire fire to the world that Jesus has been revealed. He has been revealed. And so the band's going to come back up. And the question I ask one is, is when's the last time you've actually had an interaction with Jesus because you he's revealed himself to you in a new way and instead of stiff farming that you've allowed him the warm the kindling that's in your heart and in your soul when's the last time that's happened because the reality of it is is this as I said you and I were made to reveal and reflect Jesus's holiness and the best part of it is that he calls you by name you don't think you have any value the Lord of the universe, the scripture, the, the scriptures who say everything is held together by him. Think about that. Like all the things of this room and all the rooms in this town, in this country, in this world, and all the other things going on in the universe are all held together 
by Jesus, and he calls you by name. And if that doesn't warm your heart, I would say today is a day to allow it to do that, to do so. And so my ask for you as we respond in song is that as we sing, allow him to do that this morning. I think he wants to do that this morning. He wants to warm your heart and he wants to tell you that he cares about where you are and what you're up to and in your world. So will you just pray, stand and pray with me, please? God, I don't know. I mean, I certainly needed to hear that this morning, that you call me by name. And I don't understand it. I don't understand why you do, because I don't do a lot of things that are worthy of you. I do some, but not as much as I'd like. But yet you still call me by name. And so, God, I'm praying for, I don't know who else needs to hear that this morning, but we've all been called by name by you, and you're no longer hidden. You're alive. You're resurrected. You're sitting at the right hand of the Father advocating for us. And so, God, I pray as we sing this song and we respond that whatever it is that we need to make you the God of, that we would. Whatever hope that we need anew this morning, God, that you would do that. Not that we would say, okay, I, I could trust the Lord. No, Jesus, that you would, you've showed yourself trustworthy and that you would continue to do so even spiritually right now. So God, I thank you. I thank you that, that you've made my heart a bush. And it's a place where you reside and that you don't hide your face from me. And so may I live, may we live, that's my prayer, Lord, may we live lives in such a way where we're not living our life in a way that your face is hidden because it has been revealed. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we're not blown past Easter and that there are things that you still want to show us. Let us live in light of the resurrection, but Lord, also let us live in the light of your revelation. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Hi, y'all. <laughs> I'm Dee. I don't get to see you all from up here very often, but I'm glad to be with him. And I don't get in here a lot because I'm a lot of times back in kids, man. But I just want to say hi and welcome to all of you that were able to join us today. And I just want to say I'm glad you were able to join us. And um, that ties in a little bit to this story that I picked up on. And I had a lot of things, but he said, keep it simple. So... He said, if God showed us what was coming, would we press in or would we turn away and run? And part of that is, um, well, I'm a Tennessee girl. And whenever um, I, I kind of have grown an understanding that God has given me uh, a little bit of in on his eyes and ears. And so in some relational time with the Lord, um, I remember we were praying about where God wanted us to go next. And he gave me a revelation of um, Southwest. And I thought, so we were in Knoxville at the time. I thought, okay, Chattanooga, we're good. Chattanooga, Southwest, it's a great city, a lot of mountains, we're good. And then as that revelation continued to unfold, it turns out I had no idea how far south we were going to be going. <laughs> as we landed into central Texas before we landed here, and I remember everybody always coming up to us, aren't you so glad to be in Texas? And y'all, I got to tell you, <laughs> as a mama's heart, um, I was glad to be in Texas because I knew that God had called us. But sometimes he gives you that revelation because what you've been called to isn't necessarily what you were, had this dream of, what things were going to be like for a mom or a wife, and you're growing up your children, you think you're going to be around grandparents. I grew up around grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, and we just had so many of us, you couldn't even, uh, we'd fill this room up. But when we came to Texas, it was just us. And so there was that emotional side of, I'm glad to be doing what I know God's called us to do, but it's been hard sometimes. <laughs> We've gone through a lot, and it's been good. But I needed to know just enough to get us to Texas and that he had a plan for us here. And um, so I just encourage you all that sometimes go ahead and have that faith. Look, go ahead and look and listen. He wants to tell you. And he, then trust, trust that he's got your best at heart. And so thank you for being a guest here, and we hope you'll be a part of our community. And uh, one way to do that, there's a little pamphlet in the chairs around some of you that's blue, and there's a tear out. And we'd love to have a chance to give you a call and maybe send you a little gift just to say thanks for coming to visit. And if there's a way that we could connect in with you, we'd love to. And then also, if you've been a part of us for a while, or God's just stirring on your heart to give, uh, we have different ways to give, and if you'd like to partner with us, there's in that pamphlet as well, there's a way to do that online, and then there are also boxes at the back of the room in big orange letters in case you need to open up your eyes and see. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then um, that's where that can be received. And then I'm probably, oh, prayer. Y'all, it's an honor to be able to prayer, and I um, have been prayed for many times by many of you. And I know the way that God works through that prayer is a mighty thing. So if you need some prayer today, we have several people up here that will be able to pray with you at the end. If you want to write your prayer requests and leave that in the offering as well, we have people that pray throughout the week. And we're honored and glad to be a part of that with you. And so I um, just want to say thank you. And then we have one more big event going on today. So I'm going to welcome up Mr. Travis.
Thank you, D. I also want to welcome Tyler back up. Um, so, um, as we've been talking about, sometimes we don't know the paths that are, are before us, and sometimes if we knew it, maybe we wouldn't take that path. Agreed. And so this morning, uh, we wanted to let everybody know that this is Parker Mayo's last Sunday here as our youth associate. He has decided to step down. He feels as though God is calling him uh, in a... <laughs> use the other one, uh, in a new direction. And, you know, he just really has some goals that he's set in place and he has a desire to, to grow within his life. And so this morning we want to send him off with our blessing as a church and to really just love on him. So Parker, if you could come up here, come on. Um, I know that you wanted something. Yeah. I just want to say quickly, Parker, I'm thankful for you and appreciative of you. And no matter where you are or where you go, you have a call to point people to Jesus. And so you'll do that. And I would say, as he reveals the next steps and the steps after the steps that you don't see yet, that it'll be good and it'll be good for you. So I'm thankful for you. And I just want to say thanks so much for what you've done. So I also just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for everything that you've done for the youth here. And I know that there's many people in this room that have been impacted by Parker's time here with us. It's been three years. And it's been three good years where he's poured a lot into students and, uh, you know, even us at times. Yeah. And, you know, we're we're happy to, to see you go. We're happy to see you grow and pursue new things in life. So if you would like to uh, come up and lay hands on Parker, uh, step right down here again. Sorry, making you do step-ups. Uh, but you could come up to the front, lay some hands on him, and then Tyler and I will be praying for him. Sure. And if you don't want to, just extend a hand. That'd be great. Put your collar there, buddy. There we go. Father God, I just want to say thank you for Parker. Lord, I thank you for his heart. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've poured on him. Lord, I pray that your anointing would continue to pour out on his life, that wherever he goes, whatever people that he comes in contact with, Lord, that your your spirit would go with him to be a light to those that are around him, to make an impact in this world, because that is the calling that you have on his life. Lord, you have given him a thirst for, for knowledge, for your word. And Lord, I pray that as he absorbs it and takes it in, Lord, that he would be able to use that to help people people to find you, to know who you are. And Lord, I pray that wherever he, he puts his, his feet to the plow or his hands to the plow, Lord, that uh, he would see, pro he would prosper, Lord, and that he would see favor within your eyes. And Lord, that you would help him to, to see favor within his bosses and those that he works with. And Lord, that you would provide for his needs. Lord, as he is seeking growth, Lord, that you would give him many growth opportunities as he moves forward. And, Lord, that he would be able to obtain the goals that you've put on his heart and on his mind. So, God, I pray uh, and give blessing as he leaves this place. Lord, that you would open up many, many doors for him. And, Lord, we send him out with grace, with love, and with purpose. So, God, I thank you for, for Parker and what he means to, to us here at Crossroads. Yes, Jesus. Lord, I agree. And, and just that uh, we release him back to you. And he was always yours anyway, but we got to have him for 
for a little while. And so, God, I ask that you just bless and prosper him, Lord. Make him to be the man that you want him to be or that you thought of him to be a long time ago before he ever stepped on the planet. And so, Lord, we're going to be watching to see what you're up to, and we're going to rejoice with that. So, Lord, we thank you for Parker. Bless and keep him in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, uh, after service, we're about to to dismiss here. There is cake out in the foyer for for Parker, so please make sure that you go and, and just give him a thank you, give him a little prayer or... Or any blessings, you know, you know, it's it's always good to get those. But um, thank you guys for being here this morning, and you guys are dismissed. Dismissed. Have a good day.